It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the regularly scheduled Monday edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless in parts unknown. Painter, we don't have a cutesy intro this week. We got to get right to business. There's plenty to discuss. Good pool day for your boy. So I'm excited about everything that's happening in between the visits to the pool and, you know, Auburn having a scrimmage. Yeah, and and I wrote about it in the mailbag on Saturday. It's like, you know, the summer's done uh, for the most part. I mean, school gets back rolling for these Auburn players on Tuesday. Um, you know, high school football starts Friday, which is uh, wild to think about. Also pretty pretty exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out and, like, actually covering some actual football again. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, schools around here have been in for a while. I don't know. It's just, it's it's crazy that, you know, this summer, I thought the summer kind of went by at a decent clip. I mean, it's still hot outside. You're still hanging out by the pool. Um, but, you know, I thought the summer went by pretty quickly. But yet, you know, once it gets here, the fall, quote, unquote, gets here, uh, it's, it's a whole lot of fun. And, um, you know, I always think of that first scrimmage of the fall for Auburn as kind of like, all right, now, now we're getting serious. Now it's like football season is upon us, and you know, by you know, you're listen if you're listening to this, I mean Auburn's got less than three weeks to go, like full full uh, full weeks to go before they get this thing rolling, and uh, yeah, the the scrimmage on Saturday night will be what we will talk about here, probably for the most part on this podcast. But um, I mean. There's no way you can talk about this scrimmage without just going straight to the quarterbacks, right? Like it would. We, yeah, we thought about. I mean, we would, thought about doing something like, <laughs> all right, the biggest news, like the biggest news of of the scrimmage, Andres Carlson, four for four. All right, let's talk for a half an hour about that. No, but I mean, you can't even play around with it at this point. It's it, it's got to be the quarterbacks. You know, Auburn's got a quarterback competition that's still, you know, for this first. Weaken some change. The true fall camp because you know once they get into class on Tuesday, the camp part's kind of over, and it's to, then it just becomes kind of like preseason ball. Um, you know, kind of getting to regular scheduled programming. But uh, you know, the 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 first week and some change, we saw a lot of rotation. Right, you'd go out there one day, and you would see you know T.J. Finley with the first team, and and and. Zach Calzada with the second team, and then you know in the in the pace drill, and the next day it would be Calzada with the first, and Rasher. It was a pretty good rotation of the three. Again, nothing against Holden Garner, but you know it's been very very clear that he that you know Auburn's plans for him, um, you know, seem to be hey red shirt, develop him for the future. The first scrimmage I thought was you know always going to be very very important for these guys at quarterback. It's funny, I think. You can find any opinion on Auburn's quarterback battle on the internet right now. And whatever you saw and heard about from the scrimmage, you know, you're going to get that as well, right? You're going to get uh, – you can find validation, right? You know, if you think quarterback X is the best option, what you heard and what you've heard about so far in in camp um, can validate it. I don't think the scrimmage really changed a a lot of that. Uh, It's kind of funny, you know. Fans can get the same quotes and read the same quotes and, and read a hundred different things in, into it. But it was an interesting scrimmage in the fact that I think the guy that 
I think everybody's expecting to be well, maybe not everybody's expecting, but like the 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 presumptive favorite and, and the guy I thought would probably s- still be the favorite, arguably had the weakest of the three days in Zach Calzada. I think that was obvious from how Brian Harson talked about it afterwards. You know, he had sentence sentences to say about the first two guys, and he said, you know, hey, Robbie Ashford. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, Zach Calzada was, you know, was solid tonight, and he had a touchdown. That's all he said. You heard about more big plays from TJ Finley. You heard about more big plays from um, Robbie Astrid. Calzada did have a touchdown pass. Just the general consensus from those who were in there seems that, you know, Calzada had the weird one of the days. And that makes things interesting, I think, moving forward, Painter. I don't think it's, like, definitive. You know, like, I wrote about it on Sunday morning. Like, this is just one scrimmage. you got to keep that in mind. But it was a pretty important one. Because things are going to start kind of narrowing it down from there. You know, I, I think with the way we've talked back and forth, I think we both think that Calzada is probably the favorite. So kind of what was your reaction, I would say, from your perspective of like hearing that, oh, the guy that I think people think is the favorite in a scrimmage capacity had a, a day that wasn't as good as the other two guys? I think if you polled the average Auburn fan – they're hoping that Zach Calzada is the starter because they know that Auburn went after him hardest, earliest, and that there have been moments for him. And if you're really into the weeds, then you know that like at least one person, Seth Galena, thinks, okay, well, maybe there's something there, right? So you can start playing right. ball. And, and so I think from a fan's perspective, it makes it the most interesting that the person, as you say, is – largely presumed to be the person that they brought in to give the keys to is suddenly maybe not where they had thought. But I I think it does add a wrinkle. I think if you were the casual Auburn observer, you had hoped that, I didn't really mean for it to come out quite like that, but (laughs) if if you are just thinking, hey, what's new? What have I not seen? You're hoping it's this unknown commodity. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of Auburn fans fall into one of two camps, right? They 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 are big fans of Zach Calzada, and when he brings to the table, he thinks he's the guy. Or, and I think this number's kind of increased here in the past week. You're wanting Auburn to roll the dice with Robbie Ashford. You know, Robbie Ashford had a, last week. He was Offensive Player of the Day in practice once. He was playmaker. Um, you know, on Thursday's practice. Uh, you know, we saw that on Friday, and Ashford. I think the thing with Robbie, from what I've been able to see from him in, in camp, is that arm talent-wise, I mean, he's got he, – he can throw the ball at mine. He's got a cannon. Um, I, I thought, from my perspective, he's been kind of the more inconsistent of the quarterbacks throwing the ball. But also, you, you get him in a scrimmage capacity, and it's like, okay, so much of his – so much of what he brings to the table that's different than the other two guys is the fact that he can run. And that he can, you know, react uh, pretty well. I, I'll be interested to see kind of how he does off platform. If that's kind of the thing with him, you know, throwing on the run, uh, doing some things like that. But um, Ashford, you know, had a, had a good day. He's not able to kind of show his full running ability in these scrimmages because anytime a guy gets near him, they're gonna they're gonna blow it dead. Brian Harson mentioned it after the scrimmage. He's like, you know. Uh, Astrid's a pretty big dude, right? He could run through some of those tackles, you would think. Um, but you know, you you're you're playing it way, 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 you know, safer than sorry with your quarterbacks at this point in the preseason. And so, I think you still don't get that kind of that full scope from that. I, I don't know how many Auburn fans 
are in the camp and they want to see TJ Finley be the starter. And that's nothing against Finley. I just think it's just the way he finished last season. It's hard for fans to kind of shake that from their head. Like, okay, you got two other quarterbacks and neither of them could beat him out. And, you know, I, Finley apparently apparently from, from, from uh, everything I heard had a really good day uh, of camp. Now, Harson made the point that some of the quicker throws, some of the shorter throws, there was inconsistency there, some we saw last season. But I uh, had a really good touchdown pass to, to Cameron Brown, made some good you know, third and even fourth down throws, um, and showed a really good command of the offense. Now, I think he's improved, right? Um, but I do also think there's just, just this interesting situation where this is the guy that I think was counted out the most. And if he comes out and has the best scrimmage, that makes sense. Again, it makes things interesting. I don't think you know. I don't think the job was won or lost last night, Saturday night, but it makes things interesting where you come out of it with okay, the guy that is probably the presumptive favorite doesn't have the best day, and the guy who is probably the longest shot among you know general consensus had the best day, and that just and that makes things so so fascinating for this for this quarterback race. Uh, you know, moving forward. And, and I, I guess the thing is, is like Harson said, they've seen some separation. I think they're going to try to start narrowing some things down here this week, because once you get past that second scrimmage, all right, now it's extended game week mode. You get ready to go. I also know though, that the way Auburn starts their season with Mercer, with San Jose state in those first two weeks you could play multiple guys if you wanted to. Now, I think they would want to have a starter, but I don't think it's like you're the star no one else is going to see the field. I mean, I think they're going to naturally get those opportunities. So I think especially when you see places like Notre Dame and Missouri, and I think there's another school that already announced their starting quarterback this past week, I, I get that there's like pressure that people want to say, like, okay, let's let's go ahead and get it. You know, And it's like not only does Auburn still have time, once they get into the season – you know, there could still be some wiggle room just from the nature of, of the games they play early on. Yeah, I, I kind of babbled earlier, but I think if you're look at you're wanting one quarterback to separate, and I think people thought maybe to this point somebody would in particular, people thought it would probably be Calzada. I, I it seems pretty clear right now, whatever separation that you might have hoped for as the average fan, like that's not there yet. Yeah, no, it's it's not like the the separation. Harson said, you know, uh, this is the quote. I think we'll see some of that, meaning separation on film. The one thing I told our guys: every one of those guys wants to play. We're going to play the best guys. They all deserve the opportunity to go out there, which is why we've given every one of our guys uh, a chance to showcase what they what what they can do. We've got to start making some decisions. We've got to start figuring out who are going to get a little bit more reps. It's so, like, last night kind of, for something that, like, you know, Auburn wasn't going to have a decision coming out of uh, out of this first scrimmage. Like, you still have to evaluate it. Sunday, they were going to correct a lot of stuff from it. I think the narrowing down process might happen this week. Um, but, you know, for something that, you know, <laughs> you come out of it saying, okay, there's no decisions been made and everything still kind of feels kind of even – I think the nature of how it turned out makes it even more interesting um, because 
you know, I think if you get into a situation where one of those quarterbacks, especially one of the transfers, come in and it's far and away the best out there, maybe maybe we're talking a little bit differently today. But instead, it's the guy who came back who had the better day. And of course, Robbie Ashford had had, had a good day as well. Um, and again, I don't think I don't think Calzada's day was awful. Like it wasn't like he was throwing like, like through like seven picks or anything like that. I think it was just like okay, it was clear that if you had to rank the three, he was the third. That that's kind of what the message it was communicated uh, from that. Um, but yeah, if if Ashford or Calzado would have went and balled out, I think it would have been like okay, the ball kind of starts rolling here. Instead, um, you I think you've got a situation where T.J. Finley has done a good job of trying to improve himself and, and make this a tougher decision. And, and really put up a fight here. And then both of your quarterbacks who you did bring in, your transfers, neither one's been able to separate themselves just yet. But there's still there's still some time. And like I just said a moment ago, the nature of the schedule can make it so that, you know, even if you name a starter early on, this is not like you're putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Camden Brown is just hanging around, dude. He's just it's having like, a good time. It's like whoever is going to throw the ball for Auburn this season, you're going to throw it to Camden Brown. Like that's he's done really, really well. Um, when you talk about separation, I do think though separation has been found at wide receiver. I think the first two waves at wide receiver have been pretty consistent. Camden Brown is part of that. Had a great touchdown catch. You can go, you know, watch the video. It's out there uh, from from that. Um, go up and get it. Like good throw, good catch. Um, great, great body control, toe tap, and all that good stuff. Uh, played really, really well, and he has been. I mean, that's just that's just him. He, he's he's that kind of guy. Um, again, in a room where there aren't very many overly tall receivers, there's some dudes with some size, but overly tall dudes. He can go out and make the play. So it's Camden Brown. You heard about Javarius Johnson having a good night. You know, several catches for him. Brian Harson wants to get the ball to Shedrick Jackson more often. That makes sense. He is the guy with the most experience in the room. Coy Moore is really starting to come on in the knowledge of the offense as a guy who's a summer arrival. He's been talked about a lot. And then there's two more that didn't get talked about a ton last night, but two that have clearly been top level dudes like first stringers uh, through this first, you know, almost two weeks of camp. And that's Savaris Dawson Jr. and Malcolm Johnson Jr. I think that's your six that like, that's going to be the kind of the core there. And then on top of that, it's just going to be role situational. If guys take advantage of it, like, like Landon King, as we've talked about, I don't know if Landon King's going to necessarily be one of the guys who's like, okay, this is where he is as a position. And this is where he is in the pecking order. As more of is like, that dude is just different. And you move him around, and when he's on the field, watch out. Like, you're going to use him in certain situations, certain packages. Kind of strikes me as similar to what Auburn did with J.J. Pegues on offense, where it's like, he's got a position, and he's got a role in the depth chart, but it's not an every down one, yet it's not a it's not a small one either, right? You, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, does that make any sense? Yeah, I don't expect him to be anywhere near the receptions leader. However, it doesn't mean that at some important points you're not going to see Landon King on the field. But I, I think his volume is going to be eclipsed by a lot of other receivers. And and yet he can still make a lot. Again, I, I think different type of player, 
Kind of a similar story, though, in terms of the the uh, the style, I should say, and, and, and the positional value. But, like, it reminds me a lot of Sal Canella, where it was like, Sal was not a dude by the end of his time. Like, his effective seasons at Auburn when he was out there a decent bit, it was like, okay, he's not our starting tight end. He's not our starting wide receiver, you know, X receiver or anything like that. He might not even be the second in line in either of those spots. But when he's out there, he can make stuff happen. He can go, he can go up and get it. You know, and, and there were several times where Auburn used him as a red zone on third down, stuff like that. I think that's where Landon is. And then it's like for the rest of those guys at wide receiver, like I've I, I've been asked about Xavier Capers. Xavier Capers has been talked about a good bit for his progress this offseason. Xavier Capers isn't one of those like main like those top six we've heard much about. And I don't think that's a knock on him. I think it's more of wow, Camden Brown's been really, really good. And Shedrick Jackson is the most experienced guy you've got. And, like, that's your position. So, naturally, that's going to make it a little bit tougher for him to maybe you get to hear about him. I think there's there's going to be other spots on this roster. There's going to be other spots on this depth chart where, you know, you can kind of say the same thing about these guys. Uh, again, I remain fascinated to see, like, how okay, how do you get Javarius Johnson and Tavares Dawson on the field at the same time? Do you? How do you use both of them? How do you maximize both of those guys? That's going to be interesting to see. I think Coy Moore, I think the more reps he gets in this offense, I think the more likely he will be able to separate himself and be a guy that could potentially be one of Auburn's top two receivers. If not, the, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Coy Moore came out of this season and be like, all right, he had the most catches out of anybody. Because I think that's just kind of his game and that, that kind of style. But you're starting to see some of that separation at wide receiver. And it's a good thing because – you know, you need those guys to be ready for no matter what happens with the quarterback room. Um, and I think Ike Hilliard, um, you know, obviously deserves a lot of credit for the work he's done with these guys right now. I think there is a clear difference from Auburn's receivers this year to the where they were last year. Of course there is. It's a dude who coached in the pros. And it's an, and it's an NFL guy who I think is doing a lot of that technique, attention to detail, that finer work um, that's taken a bunch of potential filled and really athletic wide receivers from Auburn and saying, okay, you don't have experience. Here's, here's the tools that you need. So you can go out and get that experience, uh, in the sec, but yeah, Cannon Brown having a great day, uh, wide receiver, Demari Austin having a good day of the running game. One of the, one of the more fascinating, uh, things I saw from the, from the scrimmage or heard from the scrimmage is that they did not put tank Bigsby in bubble wrap that, that I think most people thought, um, I don't think they're going to be dumb with it, right? But they emphasize getting tanked the ball early uh, in the scrimmage. Said he was running against the ones, having to power through some tackles, really getting that big-time test. Everybody knows Tank Bigsby's good, but he's got to produce more against good competition um, because that's where he and the Auburn offense tailed off last season uh, in the running game. And, uh, man, Auburn's Auburn's defensive front is is a pretty good test for that. And I think... Uh, for Auburn fans, uh, hearing that, you know, the offensive line didn't get pushed around or dominated, um, has to be a good sign, right? Like there, he kept talking about how there were opportunities. There were good lanes of being filled. Some of those guys really made push even against the first team, you know, they're not going to dominate, especially against Auburn's defensive front. But, um, that's a group that you, you want to see some consistency there and, and you want to see a step forward. And it sounds like a little bit of progress is made with the offensive line. Again, I don't know how much you can learn, 
but it's not like you know. I think there's other position groups where they, where it's not quite as rosy as it is with that group. Right as, now. as far as I can tell, like Brian Hartson doesn't have a lot to gain by talking about that group, but by dropping little hints, saying things like they didn't have a lot of negative plays. I mean, it's really you know they've come out on the offensive from when we've heard actually from members of that offensive line about what they expect. I don't I don't know what to make of them in the scrimmage. You know, it's as far as I can tell, like if they play well against teams like Texas A&M and to some extent Georgia and Alabama, that's great. Like I actually expect them to do well against Ole Miss and Arkansas. You know, like I, I that's a unit that I think holds its own against competition that is as good or inferior. What I'm curious about is like, what do you do when you're really probably a step above? And like that group has really been on the offensive in the last few weeks about how they view themselves. To your point, last season Auburn ran for 207 against Ole Miss. Uh, they ran for 163 against LSU, but that was like aided by like one really big run. The average was good in that game, but it was kind of warped a little bit. Uh, less than four yards carry against Arkansas. It was more successful against, uh, against South Carolina. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's like you need – like – in the games, even in the games you don't expect Auburn to win, right? You need to see a little bit more on offense, especially in that running game, if that's going to be your, your bread and butter. Um, and I just last... view us as more talented than Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, South Carolina. Yeah, and I think in the trenches, like, you know, there there are some teams in the SEC that have really good defensive line talent. Missouri's going to be interesting because Missouri just has that rep for, for good defensive line play. But it's like, yeah, like, you know, there are maybe some teams that are mid-tier or lower in the SEC where you feel like, okay, their defensive front could give you a lot of problems. Maybe Arkansas is the best example of that. I mean, look at how good Arkansas's run defense was last year. Yeah, they're middle of the road. So, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. It's just I would expect Auburn to run well against Mercer. I would expect Auburn to run well against um, San Jose State. You know, hey, last season Auburn ran – uh, four and a half yards of carry against Penn State. Not crazy good, but a couple touchdowns. I remember Tank having having some good runs. Jarquez having a couple, uh, some good runs in that game. It's like that 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 setup's going to be there for them to kind of do it. It's just that offensive line is like, all right, what is going to make them consistent? And I guess the other thing with them is like, what's going to make them better in October, November? Because they got off to a great start last year, and then even against some decent teams uh, and some good teams, they ran the ball. You know, they had their moments. And then, like, couldn't run against A&M. Couldn't run against Georgia. Couldn't run against Alabama. Couldn't run it really well against against State uh, or Arkansas. They needed to throw the ball to, to win that Arkansas game. And Will Friend said something last week that, that you know, caught me, well, maybe not by surprise, but it just, like, stood out. He said, like, our priority is, like, finding five dudes that are going to help us run the ball. Like what? The passing the passing is important, but priority one is running the game, running running the running game, I should say. And that's where I think it sounded like Auburn, you know, rotated with that offensive line um, in the scrimmage. They mix and match some. Like you hear guys like Tate Johnson and Avery Jernigan getting first team reps. You're hearing guys like Colby Smith having good days and, and Brennan Coffey having good days. Where it's like, okay, well, those aren't guys that you're expecting to be starters this year, but they're getting that experience. You're not going to want to chance a guy like um, 
you know, Nick Brahms or Austin Troxel as much, or Keandre Jones missed time earlier in, in, in camp with an injury. You don't want to chance that, but the wild card still is Cam Stutz. Cam Stutz is an interesting figure here for Auburn because, you know, Will Friend said it last week. He got to off to a slow start in camp. He said, but that's because we were just running around in helmets. When we got full pads on, that's what he wants. Like, that's what he's good at. He's a, he's a, you know, big kind of like road grader type of uh, big physical guard. And if Auburn's priority is, all right, we got to get better running the ball, especially down the middle, if they're at their best running the ball with Stutz out there, I don't know who I don't know who's out in that point. I don't know if that's council. I don't know, you know, what, what you move around to do that. But that's where I think the intrigue is. Cause it seems like Zyre and Troxel and, and Brahms and Jones pretty much kind of have it. Maybe Council locks it in, you know, as he gets healthier and um, more back into the swing of things. But yeah, that, that group's just got to get better. That's it. They've just got to get better, and they've got to stay healthy as well, which is easier said than done because on the offensive line, it's it's one of the most violent positions to play in football. It wouldn't get talked about all that much, but given Council's versatility at times and just generally how much he's played, it would be an like not insignificant storyline if he ended up not starting. Yeah, it would. It, it would because the last two seasons when Council's gone down, Auburn's offensive line has gotten worse. So that would be really interesting to see, um, you know, for, for 2022 if that's the case. Uh, so that's what makes Stutz – this week is going to be very interesting to see Stutz because when they get out of this second scrimmage and they get into kind of extended game week mode and things are really starting to lock down – in the depth chart, where is he at? Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. It's going to be really, really fascinating to watch because um, there's just a lot. There's just a lot uh, of experience and a lot of stuff returning on that offensive line. So that that a that a guy, even though Stutz has been here for a while, that a guy who's never been a starter before who could come in and shake it up, that would be huge. Because I don't think anybody saw it come. It was going to be like, okay, what does Alec Jackson or um, you know, does Brennan Coffey kind of make the make the breakthrough? Is Zyre a guy that's going to start? You know, that seems to be the, you know, Zyre, that one seemed to kind of work out for sure um, in terms of predictions. But, you know, I don't know how many people – you saw Stutz get a lot of experience in spring practice. It was like, okay, they, they were resting a lot of guys. Yeah, there was there a, a lot reason of guys for recovering. that. Right. Like, here's an example. Again, nothing gets the kid. Um at all because I think I think I think Auburn really likes him and he'd be a good player. But you haven't heard as much about Caleb Wooden here in fall camp as you did in the spring. Well what changed for Auburn? They got like two or three more safeties in. You know? And and, and things just naturally shifted on the depth chart because of that. Um so for Stutz to kind of be hanging around is really, really interesting. And just how does all that kind of work together? You know this team's going to run the ball. You know it's going to be running through, run it through tank. You know Jarquez Hunter's going to be um, involved a good bit. He said he was going to he was going to play a lot more this year. I tend to believe him. Demario Austin having a good scrimmage is interesting because it looks like Sean Jackson has been ahead of him for you know so far in camp. That's probably still going to be the case. But you know if Austin keeps keeps it up like this, you can find a way to get him on the field. True freshman, it's easy to get to get a true freshman on the field to run it back. It feels like Gus had a stigma against him that he was a good recruiter, which no one dislikes. Right. Everyone wants that. But that he was not a good developer. And you brought Brian Harson in yeah. because he was supposed to maximize talent. 
And there's this interesting thing, whether it's at running back or at a different position, where is there going to be a difference at this point in the young players that come in? Are, are we going to see some sort of elevation and development? That- let's let's talk about what this really what that really was about for the most part, and that was quarterback, right? You're right. Like Auburn took guys at defensive back that were underrated and turned them into NFL guys. Defense, you had that linebacker that run. Now, a lot of that is with Kevin Steele and the position group there. Gus being more of an offensive guy, you have to look at offense, right? The issue with the Gus regime towards the end especially was that you weren't getting it on the offensive line, but it's quarterbacks, right? You know, did a quarterback get better during their time at Auburn? Well, that was that was always kind of the knock. And Harson being a quarterback guy, like I think it all flows from there, right? You know, you could see, I think you could see, like, if Auburn goes on a run here in the near future where a group like the defensive backs or any of these other positions where you get, you develop guys that weren't as, weren't huge prospects and turn them into NFL draft picks, sure, that'll get some love, that'll get some praise, but the narrative is going to only stay the same unless quarterback changes, right? Like, that's, that's going to be the one. And it makes it interesting for Harson at the beginning of his tenure at Auburn because it's transfers. Now, they're all transfers that had multiple years left. None of them were finished products. None were close to finished products. You know, and so there's still development work to be done there. But I think that thing you were talking about with Malzahn, um, it's like, oh, you couldn't develop talent. I think a lot of it has to do on offense. And I think, I think a lot of it kind of stems from quarterback. And there's there's stuff that plays off of it. I think people wanted more consistency and more just dudes at wide receiver. I mean, we've talked about it before a ton. Like, Auburn just doesn't have really any history at wide receiver. Uh, yeah, I, I would say you're spot on. Like, the, the the what receiver at Auburn really had himself a heyday? Maybe Seth Williams. Maybe Darvin Adams when he was OC. I yeah, I don't. Uh, the wide receiver position is an interesting one because Darius Slayton like Darius goes Slayton, on to Darius have Slayton a nice well. career yeah. in the NFL. CJ Uzama, tight end, but also like has signed two very nice contracts. Yeah, and it's like maybe Seth Williams hangs around. Although watching it, did you see him dunk on Kelvin Joseph Saturday night? Auburn was ruthless on the on Twitter. I, 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 thought, that that was, I thought that was fake when. <laughs> <laughs> people were people were like, hey, did you see he did that to the same guy? And I was like, that's not real. And then I saw the Auburn account really leaning into it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like maybe that, maybe Anthony Schwartz kind of sticks around. But, yeah, it's just that it's that consistency, especially when you look to the other side of the state and what they're doing. At position groups where they were not – like early the early run, the first half of the Saban area, it wasn't like they were just – there's Julio – but, like, there wasn't a whole lot of just, like, awesome wide receivers and offensive talent you can point to. There were some guys here or there. They were the definition of ball control. They pounded right, you to death. And then it was, like, things started kind of getting a little bit more with Amari Cooper, and then and then it just takes off from there. And then Georgia is kind of the same way, you know? it's a, So that, that kind George of stands Pickens, out. Uh, it's tough because he was so close to being an Auburn player. but right. He may be a he's wild be case, but like in terms of talent and being like a hilarious person, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite pro players. And he's going to go to the Steelers and he's going to do what every Steelers 
wide receiver does, and it's like, wow, that guy was really, really good. How was he not a first-rounder? Um, and, hey, look, Auburn's wide receiver coach came from there, so that's a good sign. Uh, it, yeah, I I think it's the development, and I think that's what makes the quarterback situation even more pressing, right? You know, I think Bo Nix got better under Brian Harson last year, right? I think some of it was Bo another year older, sure, but, like, he got better as a passer under Brian Harson. Obviously, Mike Bowo played a part in that as well as his offense coordinator, as his quarterback's coach. So there was some development there, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the level of consistent success that you want and that you need. And and Harson at Boise State had really good, consistent quarterbacks, whether he was an offense coordinator or a head coach. That's kind of been his thing. And so... It's funny because, you know, I think so much that hinges on, hey, is Brian Harson going to, uh, you know, is Brian Harson going to be successful at Auburn? Is he going to last at Auburn? I think a lot of it comes down to the fact, like, all right, how good can he make these quarterbacks right now? And it's not just him, obviously. Eric Keesaw is the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach there. But it's like, all right, you specifically got hired to do this. The quarterback is a is a very concentrated view of it. But, like, it, it's kind of distilled into that. Yes, they need to develop players, especially on the offensive line, at wide receiver, at running back, all all the positions. Defense, got to keep up with it, what the last staff did on defense and add on to it. But, yeah, the quarterback, it just all flows from the quarterbacks. It all flows from the quarterbacks. And you're not getting guys, like, Garner's a guy that you recruited, but he's not going to be in your starting battle right now. These other three guys are dudes that you went out and got. They're not straight out of high school, but it ain't like they're veterans. It ain't like you got one-year Reynolds. All three of these dudes, when Auburn got them, had multiple years left of eligibility. And so it's like you can do a lot of good development work there. You have to as well. Well, part of that is getting through this year with probably an 8-4, and four, or I know it sounds funny, but like 9-3 and three record to really get into the offseason without being like, yeah, they're going to make a coaching change. Your legs are like, it's over. And that, when I look at the roster for next year, given the amount of unknowns there seem to be at some spots, especially with the offensive line, it's like, he, you need your quarterback to be extremely good this year to give you some faith that maybe the next year – he's going to elevate a team that otherwise might underperform because I'm looking at the roster going, this is like not a bad spot to be in in year two. There's some areas of of true unknowns. But when I look at year three and some of the turnover you're going to have in terms of talent on the D-line and experience on the offensive line, you need a person at the most important position to really – and instill some level of confidence that there's a direction of the program that he's going to be able to make a difference in a different way that Clemson did it. Like they had plenty of talent in other places, but they didn't have the same level of talent as Alabama and Ohio state, but they still won some national titles because they had the right. I mean, they had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. Right. And you know, for Auburn, for Auburn, the thing the thing with this team is that, yeah, a quarterback can, a really good quarterback can mask a lot of stuff for you. They can, it can overcome some weaknesses. And next year's roster is going to look a whole lot different at the line of scrimmage. 
there's be some key plays. And you think about guys like Tank Bigsby, think about some of the guys in the back end of that defense, they'll be gone. You know, you recruit, you develop. I think some of the young guys that are doing well right now, if they can if they can actually make that stick in the regular season, that's something more you can build on. Like if Cameron Brown is that dude for Auburn in the regular season, that's another thing you can build on, right? It was kinda like when you know, it was kinda like when Seth Williams um had his had his freshman season. Like, okay, well, the next quarterback will be able to take it, you know, advantage of that ended up being Bo. Um you gotta keep building, you gotta keep adding on to it. And so I, it can get frustrating, obviously, if you're if you're an Auburn fan, um, because everybody wants to know who it's going to be and what it's going to look like right now, and that's just not going to happen. But it's important. It's so important that the lack of patience or the or the or the uh, maybe not even a lack of patience is is more of a um, just a desire to see change and something different. Like it's valid. It's all. It's really, really valid. Like Auburn fans want to see, like who, which one of these quarterbacks is going to make them a better team this year? Who's going to separate themselves? And they don't have that answer yet. They don't need to have that answer right now. I think they're doing their due diligence. It feels a lot different when you're coming out of a scrimmage, and the best, the top performer at quarterback was not one of the guys who was a transfer. And again, I, Ashford, I think, is kind of in his own little element there because I think he's closer. I think he performed closer to Finley than he than than Calzada in terms of just you know, the good things and people. Harson even say. said as much. Like he's as someone who's more mobile, it's kind of hard and and practices and even to some extent the scrimmage to display the thing you're best at. And it may be an unfair comparison because. Ole Miss has not traditionally been the sort of team that they were last year, but like that's a school that's produced some good quarterbacks recently. They've had some mm-hmm. great skill position players. I don't think anyone would write home about the offensive or defensive line talent that those that those teams have had. They had no. a really good quarterback last year, some nice skill position players, and they rode that to what a ten and two regular season record. Mm-hmm. And and if you're trying to lay a blueprint, it's like well maybe you go eight and four this year. What can you do in year three when you're turning over a bunch of players on the interior parts of your offense and your defense? I, I think that's part of what makes the quarterback battle this year interesting. You're, you're choosing it for this year because, you know, you're fighting for your life if you're the staff. And you're also looking at year three go, we need someone that elevates us because we're going to lose some talent and some experience and some important spots. Yeah, I don't think you want to be in here next next year and saying, okay, is is the starting quarterback is he the right guy like you don't want you don't want to have that you're going to want to go into next season saying this is our guy we have a returning starter at quarterback you know that's that that's what's going to be beneficial for them but yeah it comes it comes back you know in the case of Ole Miss it comes back to coaching right you know there's not a whole lot that you would say that makes um Ole Miss this great destination for quarterbacks but it's the coaches they've had and I mean that goes back to David Cutcliffe who apparently was at Auburn's practice uh, last week, which I thought was interesting. I'm, I must have walked right by him, just like thought he was just an old man in glasses. Um, but, you know, Freeze had his run. Obviously, Lane's got that reputation. Brian Harson doesn't have that outsized of a reputation because of where he was in the past, right? But the numbers at Boise State speak for themselves. you got to carry that into Auburn. He's got to have one of these guys – stand out and to the point that they're at the end of the 2022 regular season 
whatever the record is, is saying there's hope, there's there's a there's faith, there's something that's going to be it's going to you know push this team forward um, at the quarterback spot. I guess that's what also makes Ashford so fascinating. And I've said that word about a hundred times in this podcast already. But like Robbie Ashford is the guy who was the best recruit of the, these three coming out of high school. He's also the guy who has no experience at the college level. You can make an argument where like, it would make a lot of sense for you to roll your dice with that guy and say, okay, here he is. There's going to be some bumps and bruises. There's going to be some ups and downs, but this is your guy moving forward. You can, you can sell that. That's a selling point. However, because of what happened earlier this year for Auburn, and what happened at the end of last season for Auburn? You know, you don't get you don't get a ton of wiggle room. You got to get the dude who's going to win games this year. I'm not saying it's like you know, it's obviously not a situation where you have to win nine or ten to to, to survive. But like, you got to win. You got to win more than you lose, and you've got to and you've got to build something with it. So it's a tough spot to be in. It's a t- it's a tough spot to be in. But I think. Auburn is handling this quarterback battle just like on the timeline. I thought, you know, and the way they said that it was going to be, hey, this first scrimmage is going to mean a lot. And we will go from there. And I think these next next few days are going to are, are going to tell a lot. We we have spent now roughly three quarters of the podcast dissecting to an extreme degree one side of the ball, while the other right. side of the ball is without question going to be way better statistically than whatever the offense does. Like, you're just hoping to get a level of competency that you got from that stretch of the end of the LSU game through the first half of the Ole Miss game. Can you get that on a regular basis from the Auburn offense, and then you just want the defense to pick up where it left off in the Iron Bowl? Yeah, so for your defense, can, like, the defense kept Auburn in a lot of games last season, some that they won, some that they lost. And I don't know. I've been banging the drum for a while now that I think this is going to be a good Auburn defense. I, I I like where they are at at all three levels. I think the inside linebackers had a good good scrimmage. I think Owen, from all accounts, is back to looking more like Owen. They've got a lot of confidence in Cam Riley and West Steiner at this point. I think again, there's a runway with the way Auburn starts with five straight home games. That defense can build up a lot of confidence because they're going to have Jordan Hare behind them. And, you know, and it's going to be tough in that second half of the season, but that defense can really build in some of the spots you've got. Um, you know, you're bringing back a lot of talent up front. You're bringing back a lot of talent in the back end. Just guys that you can rely on. Like, I don't think it's set in stone by any means, but, like, the first team defense has been pretty consistent these last couple of weeks, right? And then the, the only real surprise or questions are like, okay, is it Caden Bridges at safety? That's what it looks like at this point. And it's like, is it Cam Riley or Wes Steiner? And even still, it's going to be, you're going to rely on both of those dudes. Um, well, yeah, on top of that, like, you know where everything else is. And they're taking steps forward. They're progressing. They're in year twos of the system. Same thing we talked about with the offensive line. Okay, if they are going to get better, maybe continuity will help a good bit. Being in the second year of everything, be helping. Defense, I think, is going to be able to keep in, keep up with that. The fact that, no, there isn't. Zacoby McLean anymore. There isn't Smoke Monday. There isn't Roger McCreary. These are really good college players for Auburn. These were really good football players. How do you overcome that? Well, you bring a lot of people back, and you expect those guys to, to take a step forward. Now, it's not linear. It's not always linear. Um, 
but I, I think that I think the defense is in a good spot. Uh, it sounds like the secondary has had a really good camp, and um, you know didn't get an interception. It sounded like in the in the scrimmage, but got their hands on a lot of balls. It was very disruptive. Craig McDonald had a ninety-five yard scoop and score. Um, you know the, the the linebackers are playing a little bit better than I think they would have been expected to at this point. A lot of good reviews. The defensive line and the edge rushers, if those if that top end talent stays healthy, that's gonna be a very fearsome front. Right? Derek Hall and Eku Leota are causing a lot of problems for people. And Colby Wooden and and Marcus Harris and Jason Jones, like they've been able to fill in. And it goes back to what we said, um it goes back to what we said uh earlier this offseason is that I think the best thing you can say about this this coaching staff at this point from Auburn, it's just been one season, but like they've hit pretty well in the transfer portal. Like they've gotten guys to contribute, uh, and some guys that can make some big time contributions. Now, you needed to hit at quarterback, right? And you needed to hit with some of these depth pieces, uh, but but defensively, uh, I think the depth's in a good spot. Um, and I think all three levels have it's not gonna be perfect, but again, is that consistency gonna be there? Is that you know is is that year two going to make it um, so that these guys are a lot more confident in what they're doing out there? Because even even in a year one situation, there were two really bad games obviously last season, especially in the secondary for Auburn. That defense was a huge reason why they were able to win as many games as they did, and they could have won more and probably should have won more. The Iron Bowl is a fantastic example of that's a that's a quarterback and a team that you kept in check and there were some obvious reasons for that right like injuries at wide receiver for Alabama or an ejection even uh, but uh, yeah I think about outside of will Anderson and whoever it is that lines up across from him and just by default whatever George is doing on its defensive line they're probably going to command the two best units most years but why can't Auburn have the third or fourth best unit? in the conference. And uh, I mean, outside of quarterback, I think you can make a push that defensive line when it's, when it's mm-hmm. a really talented group can affect a game more than any other unit can. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And there's no Derek Hall in this group, but there's, there's a lot of guys that I think are like Marlon Davidson level, you know, around that, that kind of, and Marlon was obviously a really good player for him. Like, Derek Hall, Colby Wood, Marcus Harris, Eku Leota. I think all those guys are going to be NFL draft picks. I think all those guys are going to be good players. They're not going to be superstar draft picks unless they just tear it up this year, right? Unless they have just these monster seasons. But And not to be annoying, my apologies. You said Derek Hall. Yeah, I think you meant Derek Brown. But yeah, sorry. my sorry. apologies yeah, right. not yeah. to be annoying. There is a Derek Hall on this team. There is not a Derek Brown on this team. Some of the I think some of the young guys that are emerging on defense have been helpful. Robert Woodyard had a good day uh, in the scrimmage. J.D. Rim's playing well. Obviously, Caden Bridges, a guy who was here last year, is potentially a starter, which changes a lot. Um, Keontae Scott's doing well. Marquise Gilbert's uh, coming on. Craig McDonald, I think, is starting to find his form. You know, he came in with a little bit of a, an injury. Jeffrey Embaugh. There's uh, Boris Joseph. Yeah, you know, Auburn went into the portal and got guys that, you know, they're going to rely first and foremost – on the dudes that have been developed here and the guys that for the most part, I guess, you know, echo and well, actually there's more than that. Sorry. Um, there's, it's a, it's a mix of guys that were developed here. that were recruited here. And then some that were transfers last season that, you know, broke through and said, okay, this is going to be, you know, these are guys you can rely on right now. Um, 
yeah, I just, I just really like where the defense. Is. I'm not I'm not saying they're going to be you know top ten defense or anything like that, but um, you know the SP plus numbers love them. I, I just like the structure. I like I like where they're at, and yeah, the Derek Mason departure uh, was tough, obviously uh, for a lot of what it represented uh, for where Auburn was at that point in time and what spiraled afterwards after that. But again, they're not changing a whole lot from the strategy. They're not changing a lot about the scheme. They're just trying to tweak and improve. It's beating a dead horse at this point, but if Bo Nix doesn't get hurt last season, you're that Auburn team's closer to eight or nine wins than they are to six and seven. And so I think the de- and that defense is very is there's a, a lot of that defense still why. back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of it's back. Not all of it. Now, there's some good players that, that that are gone now, but that's college football. That happens every year with every team. I think the part about the Saturday scrimmage that is interesting to me is how much weight the staff seemed to put into it from a long ways out. I mean, you pointed out that it was always their plan to wait the first scrimmage. And if you are an an Auburn fan, you were hoping for some sort of separation at quarterback. You didn't get it. And now you're stuck looking at like, all right, well, what does that mean for this year, for next year? And, And simultaneously what has happened broadly is that we haven't spoken much about Part of the reason it might be hard for young quarterbacks in this system is that they're all figuring out where they stand in this pecking order against what is probably a pretty good defense. So, like, there's like I like when you get into that second string defense, I think you still got a pretty good defense out there. Yeah, and so there's and and then we're stuck in the the lockstep of how excited do you get in a preseason or, or fall camp when you're you got your own players beating your own players, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard. the whole thing. It's a, we all expect yeah. the defense to be better, so you want to see separation at quarterback, and yet you know that there's an inherent disadvantage because the offense just simply isn't as good as the defense. Yeah, I mean, there were people that – I saw a couple of people being like, well, Auburn had a good day running the ball. That must mean the defensive line's taking a step back. It's like, okay, all right, well, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, – it's, it's tough because it's a scrimmage. You're playing against yourself. You know, I think you want it to be balanced first and foremost, but – you also want to see moments. I think both sides had moments. I think the defense got the better of the offense overall. There weren't as many touchdowns. You heard about you know, Honors Carlson going four for four. Like they had to settle for field goals a decent bit. But that's also what Auburn's defense does to teams. And especially against an Auburn off- offense where there's question marks about their offensive line. They aren't settled at quarterback. There's a lot of newness at wide receiver. Right? Like it's it's hard. It it's hard to see a scenario where it's like, oh yeah, that that group's just going to light it up against the defense because if that's the case, everybody'd be complaining about how bad the defense is right now. And and on an uh, unrelated note, interesting that they have given such good access to former players. I know that that was not unique. I know that in the Tuberville era, and the Chiswick era, and the Malzahn era, they let Letterman come back for games. But I feel like uh, this staff has been pretty good about both letting former players and media get some level of access, which, you know, that might maybe the cynic in you says, well, that's a desperate team and a desperate mm-hmm. staff just trying to build any goodwill where they can. Yeah, so there is a completely open practice to the media next Saturday. It's not a scrimmage. The scrimmage is on Friday night. Uh, and then, of course, Auburn has an open open practice, in case you haven't heard that, has, has an open practice on the 27th, the week before the opener. That's open to the public. 
so yeah, there's a lot more access. Um, I'm looking at the schedule right now. As we were recording this on, on Sunday evening, we got sent the schedule. Like, there's two more practice availabilities. There's coordinators are going to talk after the scrimmage on Friday, and there's completely open practice on Saturday. It's like the access has been fantastic. And, um, yeah, I think, it's again, it's just an easy win. It's an easy PR win, right? Nothing about what I've – nothing about all this extra access and what I've got to see and hear at, at practices has changed my opinion of what Auburn's going to be this year, right? I think that still there's still so many unknown variables at this point. But, um, I mean – if you lock it all off and a lot of people are like, okay, well it would make it a whole lot easier for the doom and gloom to happen. Right. Or a lot of people being like, I don't think Auburn's going to be any good this year. So it, it definitely helps. I'm not, I don't think it's changed anything about my opinions of the team, but I, I do know it, <laughs> it can only help, especially with the, if you, if you show more and you give more access and there's more stuff for fans to read and hear, people are going to get more excited naturally. Like, We've talked about it before, Painter. Like, I think you're more optimistic than you were this time last month about Auburn, or at least try to talk yourself into it, just because it's like, okay, it's here, and like, it's here, here's, here's, and here. they've all stuck to a line in which <laughs> it may look bad in November how confident they're all coming across, but they have all taken the same line from the head coach to the assistants to the players themselves, right. And that's square one. If you don't have that, it's going to be hard for you to win at all. We'll wrap up here shortly. Before we do that, let's take care of some business now that we're almost an hour into this podcast. Hi. If you're listening to this and you're listening to this for free, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Um, You can uh, help us out uh, by uh, doing what, Painter? Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, Takes like 20 seconds. Go to your favorite podcast place, preferably Apple Podcasts, because they got the rate, review, and subscribe thing going. But Spotify, you can leave us five stars, um, and you can definitely follow us there as well. We appreciate it. A bunch of y'all jumping on here as the season is ramped up. That's Mm -hmm. been uh, fantastic. We do appreciate it. We do appreciate it. It's been really cool to see uh, all you kind of hopping on board uh, with us. So that's completely free to do. Again, go to the Apple Podcasts, type in the Auburn Observer in your search bar, scroll down to ratings and reviews, click write a review, give us five stars and say something nice. We'll read it on the podcast because we're vain and also we like shouting you out. We got a new one, Painter. This one's a good one. This one is from Trombone Tiger. It says, love the podcast, especially Painter's passion for the Tigers. And also, thank you for your love for the Auburn University Marching Band. As an alum and a trombone player, yes. really enjoyed the most recent pod. Keep up the great work. Love Horrible. that, my fellow trombonist. The trombonist. The trombones are taking over. Uh, yeah, and you can give us five stars also on Spotify if you're on that. Uh, really easy to help us out. Now, if you want to help us out even more and you want to get more of the podcast, you can subscribe at the Auburn Observer, auburnobserver.com. We've got a ton of stuff, uh, and we're going to have even more coming up here from Auburn football, uh, fall camp, preseason, whatever we're calling this right now. But you just heard me talk about all the access we're getting this week. We'll have a ton more coming, uh, and we'll have some uh, new podcasts as well uh, later in the week. If you subscribe, you get twice as much of this podcast with me and Painter, and you also get uh, the friends of the program. Painter, you guys are going to be back on the mic pretty short here pretty soon, right? 
Friends of the program, we're going to do one, and it seems like Dave is excited to talk about the fallout at Kentucky. Yep. Uh, Pablo, as ever, uh, always ready to go with the uh, the fantastic takes on any sort of chaos happening in another fan base. You know, as a, as a fan of a school that loves to do chaos to itself, nothing better than seeing a coach sabotage his own athletic department. This will be a good time for us. Um, somehow yeah. Brian Harson's coup feels like uh, <laughs> it really didn't get the level of attention it might have because this off season has been kind of weird. It has been weird. And you guys, uh, well, that'll be on Wednesday. It sounds like yes. the next one. Yes. Yeah. So look for that on Wednesday. And the only way you can listen to that podcast and our bonus one later in the week is if you subscribe to the observer, armedobserver.com. $45 for your first year of the Observer. That's 25% off the normal rate. Uh, and, heck, the way we're putting stuff out right now because of all this access, I mean, it's, you know, you're getting... I'm, I'm not I'm not patting myself on the back here. I'm not talking about the quality. <laughs> I'm not talking about the quality. I'm talking about the quantity. There's been a lot of stuff for me to, to, to write and for us to talk about, so you get a lot of it. We've got scrimmage observations, practice observations, the mailbag. We've got features uh, on, on different players and position groups. Um... And then, like I said, you get every podcast. All of it gets sent straight to your email inbox uh, so you can read or listen on your own time. We also have uh, an app through Substack. Um, just download the Substack app, and you can read it in a nice, easy uh, format if you hate reading your email, like I know a few of you do. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff uh, at The Observer that you can check out. So um, you get more of the podcast, and you help us keep on going. Like I said, $45. Uh, for a subscription that's going to run for the next couple of weeks as well. Also, home field apparel, the Mad Lads have done it again. Did you see Penn State broke the big news Saturday record this weekend? Um, and they get Ohio State this week. Like, it is crazy times for our friends at home field apparel. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, the Auburn-Penn State game in week three. There's going to be a lot of home field in the, in the crowd, I bet. Uh it has jumped off. I cannot imagine how excited Connor and them must be. How like this business venture for them has been wildly successful. But I, the comparisons between Penn State and Auburn continue to arise. Like their fan base just absolutely selling out for home field, even though it's it's a bigger fan base I'd imagine than Auburn, given that they are the school for college mm-hmm. football in that state. But uh, yeah. I, Shouts out to the Penn State folks for really going all in on home field, even if they're not the biggest uh, fan base in their own conference. Home field apparel has the most comfortable T-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies that you're going to find anywhere. Trust me. I mean, I'm wearing one right now. I'm wearing a pit shirt. I mean, that's how much I, I bought three home field shirts sight unseen just because I love the good brand that much. Uh, and home field um, has – a deal for you if you listen to us. It's 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com if you use the promo code OBSERVER when you check out Auburn gear right now. Everything looks like, is it everything back in stock? Yes, everything. Every single thing is back in stock. That's 24 different products for Auburn. I'm going to speed run them right now for you just because I want to. I, I want you to know what they've got. There's a 1957 National Championship uh, shirt. There is a vintage Auburn, Auburn basketball show, shirt with uh, Aubie putting his arm through the rim like Vince Carter. There is the classic painter Aubie, as I like to call him. Um, go to his Twitter profile if you want to see what I'm talking about. 
There's a Wiggle Wiggle shirt. There's a cool throwback orange Auburn shirt with Aubie leaning on the A. You can get that dunking Aubie in a crew neck. You can get the side eye painter uh, Aubie in a hoodie. Uh, there's a couple of sailor Aubies. There's a very intimidating Aubie wearing uh, wearing football pads and growling. Um, let's see. There's a, there's an Auburn baseball shirt with the script. Old school looks really good. There's another Auburn baseball shirt that's the Bo Jackson era baby blues. There's a 1965 Auburn basketball shirt on here. I mean, there's there's so many. There's the flying A like the marching band um, with the eagle. There's a couple of baseball more baseball tees on there. Some basketball tees. There's the peacock shirts. All that, homefieldapparel.com. Check it out. You get 15% off, like I said, with the promo code OBSERVER. Uh, tell them that Con- tell Connor and the gang that the Observer sent you. And uh, if you love Auburn stuff and want to gear up for the season, this is a perfect time to do it. You'll get your stuff in plenty of time for the new season. And if you have schools that you love that aren't Auburn or just like their designs, Homefield's got you covered there. Check them out. All right, wrapping up here. Painter, uh, Takeo Spikes had the most metal shirt in the world the other day, uh, on, on Saturday. Um, and we got to the bottom of it inadvertently. Um, uh, Kevin, uh, who, uh, works for the equipment staff at Auburn, uh, pointed out that somebody brought those shirts three years ago out of nowhere. Uh, and apparently Takeo's got one. Uh, if you didn't know it, uh, Takeo Spikes did a little hype video for Auburn at the scrimmage yesterday on, you know, pull out a little front-facing camera action. And the shirt said, die first, then quit. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure I saw them at Furnace Fest last year. An incredible name, as you've pointed out, for a certain genre of band. And also an incredible thing for that particular guy to wear on his chest. 100%. I mean, like... One shout out to Auburn Equipment for having a shirt that could that he could put that like had a big enough neck hole for it. Yeah, that's the one thing. Takeo, if you've never seen Takeo Spikes in person, yes, his neck is as big as it looks on television. It is the most ridiculous thing you'll ever see. Um, but yeah, die first then quit is uh, it's great. It's a great uh, great mantra for for a lot of things um especially football uh especially especially football but um and nice to have you know we got takio hanging out a ton of letterman back last night got takio at sec network um i think cole Cole kulik doesn't strike me as someone that leans real hard into auburn even though he is an auburn guy i don't think he comes across as uh, Homer in any way, but I, all I'm saying is, given the amount of love that Alabama seems to get from national media, it's nice to have some Auburn guys represented in the media somewhere. I don't know if I said this earlier, but uh, the word was there was like a ton of Letterman there last night um, or Saturday night, uh, even more than usual uh, was the word. I, I know. Uh, I think Jason Caldwell made that point at a uh, two four seven this week. As we said, Auburn is going to have practice on Tuesday after the first day of practices or first day of classes sorry in the afternoon there's some player interviews there it's gonna be tuesday and wednesday so you get some observations looks like wednesday morning and thursday morning from that it'll be a scrimmage we'll talk about that um just a ton of newsletters and a ton of uh podcast uh content as well all right this week brian harson talk about what's next we said the friday scrimmage is going to be a big one um 
He added that, this is a quote, said, Monday will give us a chance, so the day you're listening to this, most of you, as coaches to go back, look at, and evaluate where we are, maybe move some guys around on the depth chart, start pinpointing some more specific spots for them. This will include special teams, which is a key factor to us as well, with the travel squad. Um, quarterbacks will definitely be in that part. So when we get out on the field Tuesday and Wednesday, when Auburn returns to practice, we might see a little bit of movement. We might see something kind of shaking up. I do find it interesting. We don't talk to Brian Harson until next Saturday. So might not hear anything specific about the quarterback situation until then. Uh, but this is going to be a really big week. And, guys, uh, I think you feel like things are going to start tightening up for Auburn. And, um, you know, you want to have a good two deep in place. I think you want to have that next wave that you want, you know, certain position groups to be ready. And then, like, after that second scrimmage, as Harson said, after that second scrimmage, it's depth chart time. It's extended game week time. You start preparing for Mercer. You start looking ahead to some of those other teams you play uh, in the first month of the season. Not to take anything away from Mercer, but, like, you know, you get you get this extra time to prepare. You don't need all this excess time to prepare for an FCS team. Um, so take advantage. Maybe look ahead. Do some advanced scouting, some advanced work on some teams they play later on down the line, like Penn State. And then, of course, the Missouri and LSU one-two punch to start SEC play. So big week. Big week, and uh, like we said at the beginning, just what happened with the quarterbacks in this scrimmage. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not going to determine everything about what happens with this quarterback race, but I think it's one of the scenarios that was just like, I, I don't know if anyone saw it coming necessarily, and that's what makes it that's what makes it even more intriguing moving forward. There, I used a word that wasn't fascinating. That's right. Uh, I think that's all I've got. Uh, basketball back from uh, from from Israel. Um, that trip sounded like obviously a, a, a pretty big success, um, all things considered. Oh, I will say this also: um, good news for Auburn because I saw there was some. I think Texas had two guys blow out their knees the other day. Uh, practice. Uh, Georgia's got a guy who's having to go undergo surgery. Fortunately for Auburn, right now. They have had a really good clean bill of health to this point, and they want to hope that that continues. So that's a again, if you're trying to do that so much, you got to improve a lot, and you got a really tough season ahead of you. You got to have all hands on deck right now. And I think Auburn has been pretty fortunate that all that rest and all that recovery time they gave those guys in the spring, I think it's paid off right now here in fall camp. So really, really good there. But yeah, basketball uh, getting back, and you know, in a couple months, things will really, really take off with them and getting in terms of getting preseason preparation going um so yeah i just i, I just keep thinking back to how good janai broom looked in israel like, it didn't matter who he played against and i don't know I, I might have some room to write about that sometime in the near future before football gets the season gets going but uh really impressed with them but yeah every everything looking good and uh i know we have some folks out there li- uh, listening who are auburn students i know there's i know there's a few several of you out there actually um a decent chunk of you who at least still have their edu email addresses with us um good luck painter do you have any advice to uh to folks out there getting back into swing things in school i don't know how many i don't know how many freshmen we have listening to us maybe we have fresh maybe we have transfer students maybe coming in maybe that's a little bit more our speed Painter, what is what is Painter's advice for the start of the school year of, of college at Auburn University? <laughs> Meet as many people as you can. You'll be surprised who you hang out with after college is over. That's great advice, and advice I definitely didn't follow. 
So. Same. Yeah. No, I stuck to my group and I love my group. Still hanging out with them to this day, but <laughs> you'll be surprised that uh, you don't spend the same. <laughs> the rest of your life will not look like college. Yeah. Uh, my, my advice is, um, you know, the best time to go to the Chick-fil-A on, on campus is it's usually the sweet spot used to be like one forty, um, one thirty or one forty. But you lived you can, in there too with the student with the you guys. You had a little office down the pay, there. Yeah, yeah. The Plainsman office is right uh, right under it. Um, I didn't mean yeah, to sound I, little as in demeaning. More so as like no, it was no. Right it, was, it, it was it was it was tight quarters. Uh, yeah. I uh, I actually was talking about this with somebody the other day. Uh, not it's not every week, but almost every Wednesday. Since my freshman year of college, I have eaten at Chick-fil-A. Because that was the day I used to do that in college because it would be right before we had to get the paper out, back when they actually printed those things. And uh, I still keep it up. If I don't know what I'm doing on Wednesdays a lot for lunch, I'm usually going to Chick-fil-A because I like to keep I believe in tradition, Painter. That's what, that's what keeps our great sport alive. TV contracts. <laughs> that's right. Television contracts as well. Yeah, week zero is coming up. Vanderbilt's playing. Uh, you know what? We might not have enough room to talk about it. Um, we might not have enough uh, time to talk about it when it actually comes. So, week zero. Let, let's, let's get into it here real quick. Um, Nebraska plays Northwestern and Ireland. And again, we all wanted to see uh, on Fox. Um, Vanderbilt's at Hawaii. Uh, on CBS Sports, I've already That's staked be... my flag in Vanderbilt getting down twenty-seven to three and losing thirty to twenty-nine. Right. I don't know. Just a how really that's weird. Happen. Yeah. They will lose, but somehow the way, they'll make it entertaining. By the way, the team Auburn plays in Week One of the season plays in Week Zero. Moorhead State plays Mercer in an FCS game uh, uh, on uh, on the twenty-seventh. Uh, other games involving. Uh, uh, if you want a really early look ahead, CBS Sports Network, Austin P is at Western Kentucky. Auburn plays Western Kentucky at the end of the year. Uh, UNLV plays Idaho State. That will be ugly all the way around. Uh, Jack State plays Stephen F. Austin. UConn at Utah State. That'll be fascinating. Wyoming at Illinois. Go Cowboys. Uh, Duquesne at Florida State. If Florida State lost to another FCS team, I think uh, I think that would be the end for a lot of people. Uh, Alabama State's playing Howard. Uh, these are all games on TV. Charlotte's playing FAU, and Florida A&M is at North Carolina. Um, so uh, North Texas is playing UTEP, but it's only you can only watch it on streaming. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> so right around the corner, folks. We're almost there. You excited? I'm ready. My God, you ready? Something. Also, anything. Final shout out before clo- closing thoughts. Uh, really cool thing that happened. I don't know. If, I don't know who saw it. Uh, on uh, on Sunday, uh, Tuskegee football uh, had their first scrimmage in Auburn's facilities, uh, and Tuskegee tweeting out a video from that. Really, really cool. I've always thought Auburn and Tuskegee should cross over. I know D one, D two, harder to actually play, but I've always thought those the, those those two programs as athletic. Pro- I mean, it's right down the road, man. Like you know, 10, 15 minutes away. Uh, should cross over a lot more often. So really, really cool stuff. I know it looked like the the folks at Tuskegee um, were were really, really jacked about getting to play in these, you know, scrimmage in the SEC facilities. And uh, shout out to the Golden Tigers. I have uh, 
my uh, shout out to shout out to my uh, B team basketball coach, my JV basketball coach in high school played it played at uh, Tuskegee, and uh, is probably the anybody who went to Tuskegee is super super proud of their school. But I think I think Coach Johnson was the most proud that he went to Tuskegee of any human being on the planet. So always will have a soft spot for the Golden Tigers and hope they've got a pretty good pretty good season up ahead. So that's going to do it. Subscribe to the Observer. Got a lot of stuff coming. Friends of the program later in the week. You can only listen to it if you are a subscriber. A lot of newsletters, bonus podcast, all that good stuff. Sign up, sign up, sign up. Tell your friends. And uh, thanks, thanks for listening, guys. It's been a lot of fun. This this past week has been a ton of fun. I know for me personally, um, in this job, and uh, I think this this next week is going to be a lot of the same. Painter, final thoughts. Uh, not to be outdone, Tuskegee, Lochapoca, giving life to our sweet sweet football team, folks. Whoa, we, we didn't love Lochapoca High School. We didn't talk about it. J.C. Hart. Oh, I'm glad you remind, reminded me. I completely slipped my J.C. Hart, six two corner from right down the road. Grew up loving Auburn. Um, there's a Absolutely story. Absolutely wonderful uh, announcement from him. Credible announcement. Gotta love it. Uh, Auburn's only had one other player from Lochapoca ever. If you don't know Lochapoca, you can get to Lochapoca High School from from Auburn's campus. It takes like six minutes. Like it is right there. Just head on, head on up Highway 14. Oh uh, yeah, JC Hart. Uh, look. I said it on Twitter. Uh, undersized defensive backs, um, who are not undersized, underrated. He's, he's definitely not undersized. Under, underrated defensive backs from in-state. Auburn's got a pretty good track record with them. Um, he does play one A football. He's not the highest, I mean, highest rated recruit in the world, obviously, but he's got the size. He can move well. I think he's a developmental piece to watch moving forward. Uh, and uh, you know, put a pin in it. Two, three years from now, we might be talking a lot more about J.C. Hart. And uh, really cool story from the guys who were out, uh, the recruiting folks that were out at his announcement ceremony in Lochapoca. One of my favorite anecdotes, I think um, Brian Matthews got it at Rivals, uh, or at least it was in the story that I read, pointing out that um, J.C. Hart, uh, when he was a little kid uh, driving around in Auburn, he would beg his mom to drive by the stadium whenever they were anywhere near it. And, uh, she said it didn't matter if we'd gone by it a thousand times, he was going to do it again. So really, really cool story. You got to love it when those guys get, get a chance to play for their dream school. Um, so yeah, shout out to Lochapoca. That's our final thoughts. Go Poker. <laughs>